welcome to the Record Celtic Podcast. I'm Graeme Young and today I'm joined by Michael Gannon as we talk all things Celtic. On the pod today, we preview a season for the ages as Celtic go and hunt for 10 in a row. We also look at maybe some of the challenges Celtic face along the way as they face a defining season they've been building for for almost a decade. And we'll also get put Mick in the spot for his prediction. Obviously in the papers over the weekend, season predictions, but you Celtic followers will get it a, a little bit earlier. And finally, we'll also look at transfers. It's what makes the world go round these days. And Michael will give you the inside scoop on the latest from Celtic Park. Michael, how are you? Not too bad, young. Are you yourself? All good? Um, Looking forward to the new season? Yeah, can't wait. Honestly, it's been... <laughs> It's been a, it's been a time, hasn't it? It's been something, uh, something it's different. Been, to get a bit of the. It's been absolute torture. Um, talk about absence, make the heart grow fonder. I've never loved Scottish football so much now that we're back. I can't, I can't wait to see actual football again. It's are been you, too long. Are you going to be at a game this weekend? I'll be, I'll be at Parkhead on Sunday for the, for the big, um, big kickoff flag day with. Um, Against Hamilton Ackies, yeah. So we're interested to see how that goes. It's going to be weird, isn't it, without any fans there? Um, it's not the way they want, they imagined they wanted to be, but it's listen, it's better than nothing. After being kind of frozen out since March, it's um, it's a start, isn't it? It's uh, and hopefully it won't be too long before the fans are back in as well and we get back to normal. But it's um, at least we're up underway. This is actual football. Uh, like I said, I can't wait. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, I think I said there already. It goes sometimes maybe goes without saying. Um, it's um, a massive season. It doesn't get any bigger. Um, what do you think? Like, I've noticed current Celtic players have been talking about it. Maybe the Rangers nine in a row team have mentioned it's as much psychological as anything else. What, what what's your feeling on what will be the defining factors of this season? I know Rangers have um, tailed off the last two seasons, but what do you think? What do you think Neil Lennon will be preaching more than anything to avoid? Um, any disasters really in the hunt for ten or what will be the main messages to Celtic? I don't think he has to preach anything to be honest with you. I think, I mean, I think the mentality is there at Celtic. I don't think. I mean, I know the word complacency was used. Looking back at the old uh, Rangers nine year team, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but I don't know if that was the case. I mean, there, there was issues in that team um, that season. The manager was leaving, all that stuff. Players were going. Some guys weren't um, happy or fit. So it's different scenarios, right? I think Celtic at the moment. Couldn't really be in, in much better shape, really, going into a new campaign with so much at stake. I mean, they've managed to keep hold of their key men so far. I mean, the window's still open to October, right enough. Um, but they've got their key men that are there, the guys that are over the, they're over the course. Um, I mean, are you going to tell me the guys like Scott Brown, Callum McGregor, James Forrest, these guys are going to get complacent? I don't, I don't see it. I mean, um, these boys know what it's required to win a league title year in, year out and I, can't, and I think the break will have actually helped them in terms of the fitness after a busy kind of three or four years with non-stop football so I think I don't actually think I don't think mentality I don't think it's mentality this year I think it's quality I think it's actually the best team will win the league I don't think it's a, I don't think anyone can say oh the team that wants it more or the team that's got a better mental attitude that's all part and parcel of what the whole package brings I think it's down to quality um, and I think at the moment if you're matching up with two big rivals, Rangers and Celtic, I think Celtic do have more quality. And for me, the, the key is they've got more strength and depth. I mean, I think this new rule with the, the five subs must be um, music to the ears of guys like Neil Lennon, because I mean, he's got he's got a team. I mean, he has got 16 players that are first team players anyway. I mean, yeah. you're bat an eyelid if they're playing week in week out. So, to me, the benches are going to be the key this year. And I think Celtic haven't even started yet in terms of recruitment. I think they will bring in two or three more. Um, and you look at the market they're in 
for players as well. It's a, it's a kind of um, quite an impressive market. So I think Celtic are looking pretty strong. I think I think I mean listen. I think the challenge is going to be real this year. I think I think Rangers will be better than last season. Again, they've got their own problems. I mean, they've got the main striker looking as well. Once he's gone away, and their backup doing the four injured just now, getting on a bit as well. You want to say they'll strengthen, they'll strengthen as well. But I think Celtic, from a standing point just now, they brought in the goalkeeper uh, Barkas. You think at this point in time, Celtic are strong, even if they didn't sign anyone. But if they add a, a couple of players into that group, they look formidable. And I think I think that's why I think Celtic fans are. are I don't quite have the kind of the kind of pre-season heebie-jeebies that you can sometimes get when you're in a campaign because um, you don't really know what's going to happen. I think Celtic do look pretty strong right now uh, and I think they'll only get stronger. That was interesting, the point you made. I had it scribbled down as well about the five substitutes. Now, this has been... Aye. The water break, right? This is my opinion, Mick. Uh, the water breaks are a bit annoying after the games come back in the Premier League. But the five subs, and I understand, I don't, I don't have this... Um, a rational hatred for it. I think it offers even for the smaller teams. If you're backs to the wall, it might help these guys. Like maybe you get a couple of players that are under twenty one, just solid operators, defenders. I, I don't. And for Celtic Rangers, maybe as you say, like teams that have obviously got uh, a myriad of options, the chance to do that as well. Um, what's your feeling? Just what do you think the five subs? Are you a fan? Are you? Uh, I'm not. I don't think I'm a fan. To be honest with you. I don't think so. I think it does. I don't think it does weight in favour of um, of the bigger sides and bigger squads. Um, it's not always does, but I don't. I just. I, I don't like too much tinkering with the game anyway. Um, listen, I think the five subs you can only do it at three different stages of the game, so it won't break up the game as much as some people maybe fear. But I still think it's a bit, a bit much. It's a bit of a kind of safety net for managers to pick their own team and all that stuff. It's. I think, I mean, in terms of if Celtic are sitting there at nothing each against a Livingston, Mullock, or Marks and Johnson, and they've used a couple of subs, and you still look at the bench, and there's still a Tom Rogic, or Olivia Cham, or, 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 or Patrick Clamalla, a four and a half million quid striker, I think it does mean that, that the bigger clubs have got a, an even bigger safety net in these kind of games. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't. I, I think it's uh, makes the playing field a little bit more uneven for, for kind of smaller teams. I don't really fancy it much, to be honest with you. Um, and plus, I, I'm plus I'm an old fogey. I don't like change, so I don't like more change. <laughs> no more changes, please. So I set this up nicely uh, for Hamilton at the weekend. Brian Rice, one of Scottish football's good guys, uh, has done a brilliant job with Aki's as well. I think that the Aki's story in general. Um, very small budget, always been able to kind of just stay either through the playoffs or just finishing above that, uh, avoid trouble. Uh, but they are what they are, obviously, they win at Ibrox last season. They'll be well well drilled, functional, but Celtic surely will be too much for them on Sunday, wouldn't they, to get the season up and running? You would think so, but Halton Ackies, I think, I think it's the, the kind of um, Nick, a kind of well-worn phrase in Scottish football, if there's a nuclear apocalypse, there's only two things that survive, it'd be, be cockroaches and Halton Ackies. Um, <laughs> They're just one of the great, the great survivors. And listen, they know they're the great survivors. And listen, Brian Rice plays on that. He, he said he said to us yesterday about in today's paper about how um, they, they don't, the league don't want them there and all that stuff. And um, and pundits don't want them. The journalists don't want them in the league. Um, I did feel like saying to him, "Listen, Brian, I, I'm quite happy with Hamilton League. They're, they're about ten minutes from my house, so I'm quite happy having Hamilton in the top flight." Um, 
Pete Sting. A cheeky's point. I think they're a small team and all that. Not particularly glamorous. The two stands and the plastic pitch and all that stuff. They're awkward. Listen, they'll, they'll pull out results all season. They'll, they'll, they'll take points off. Probably sell to the Rangers at some point. Again, done it last season. They're capable of doing it. Um, first game of the season, I think it's tough for them because I think that's a game when you're not going to get any kind of, I mean, especially after such a long way off. Celtic are going to be right on it. Um, and, look, and looking to kind of um, go off to a flying start. So I think they might they might get stripped aside on Sunday. Uh, you'd think um, it's a fairly, it looks a fairly straightforward one for Celtic. We never know because they have got a capability of just upsetting everyone at some point. So um, interesting. So, in terms of predictions, Michael, uh, you know that's half the battle in the Celtic podcast. I always ask you to put your neck in the line. Uh, tomorrow, your your title prediction relegation, I've done it will be in the paper, but uh, for the good people of Celtic supporters, would you be able to tell us what, what's your title tap? Who are you going for? To win the title? I, can't, I can't remember my prediction in the paper right enough. <laughs> um, uh, no, listen, I think, I think I've, t- I've, t- I've tipped um, Celtic to win the title. I think, I think, as I said before, I think they're too strong. I think they're in, in good. Listen, a lot can change. I mean, the transfer window. I mean, someone could come in and sell the money for Edward. Um, it would be a big, a big blow for Celtic if that happened. Um, but then again, I think they will have guys lined up as well. I don't think there'll be the same mistakes made in previous campaigns when key men have left and they've been caught short. So I, I think Celtic are in good nick. I think, I think they look, I think they look pretty much set to get to get a ten. I don't think it. I don't think it'll be, be that comfortable. I can see it going toe to toe right up to kind of March, April. Um, is it going to be a ten point gap or above? I don't. Maybe don't think so this year. Maybe closer than that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think they've got more enough to go over the line this year. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm a guy who who's back in the Belarus league all summer, and then we got cooking up. So don't, I don't don't my predictions. <laughs> I think we've all been in that spot this summer. <laughs> Exotic bets, but uh, we turned the obviously signings. But El um arrived here last month. That was, I think, if you'd ask Celtic fans if they'd get to put their a prediction on if it'd be El Unice or Foster to return, most would obviously have predicted Foster, but that's not the way things have, sh- have uh, panned out for Celtic. So El Unice was in, and then the arrival of Vasilis Barkas, a uh, 26 year old, uh, and chased for a few weeks, seems a very capable keeper. Uh, obviously, you're a Ex stuff for yourself, you know all about um, what makes a top keeper. Uh, what's your impressions? Have you been? He seems a very confident guy. He, he, he's a good age, isn't he, for a keeper? Twenty six, not too young. Quite young for a keeper. Um, spoke well. He? he spoke well. He did. He did. Um, he's not doesn't lack in confidence. Um, we saw him a couple of seasons ago against Celtic in, in Europe. Um, I, I, I don't. I would be lying if it stood out as um, anything at that point in time. But listen, he, he seems to be highly rated. He's um, he's got the stature, and um, he's been scouted. Um, so I'm interested to see what he's like. I think I think I mean it's serious dough for a goalie. I mean that's I think it's the Scottish record transfer for a goalie. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a serious it's a serious wedge. I think listen, we all know that that that, that Neil Lennon would have loved to have um, Fraser Foster back. I mean his the impact last season was absolutely huge. I mean you look at the key games last year. European games, the two Lazio games, he was absolutely sensational in both games. The Betfred Cup final, I mean, <laughs> it was ridiculous what he did that day. I mean, practically won the cup single handedly. Yeah. Um so he's a big he's a big loss. But listen, he's a goalkeeper. Um I think it's uh, I'm not I'm not saying it's not an important position as as a as an ex goalie. Uh, listen, I'm well, forty one, I'm still in my prime, I think the goalkeepers are getting age age well. Like a fine wine. <laughs> But um, 26, he's young, he's a young lad, so he's got a lot, a lot in front of him. He'll only get better. 
Um, I think it'll be I think it will help by by working with, with Stevie Woods. I think a lot of keepers have we've seen improve dramatically under his his guidance as well. So that's going to be interesting to see how that, that pans out. But yeah, so that's a good signing. Elon yeah. is, is, is a good sign as well. I actually think Elon could be an outsider for for Player of the Year this year. I think he looks fully fit now. I think. I think we got wee glimpses last season, didn't we? I think it can't be kind of two or three months spell after he got up to up to speed fitness-wise. He looked apart and then got injured. It was a bit of a shame for him because he was hitting his stride. Um, I think if he stays fit, I think Celtic could have a, a player of the year contender there. And uh, honestly, I think he could be one of the best players. He could be the best player in the league. Honestly, I think he's um, he's got a, he's got all the tools. He scores yeah. goals, creates goals. I think he's going to be a major player for Celtic this year. And that was that two months spell. It was like just October, kind of up to Christmas before the the Betfred Cup final. He was absolutely brilliant. I think it was the the semi final against the four two game. He was the best player in the park. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, he was perfect. That spell. And I think we are saying about outside. That's how it looks. Player of the year as well. It's very rare that anyone wins it twice anyway. So the next player to kind of emerge or show that I think that's a, a pretty wise. Wise bet anyway, and obviously you touched upon Fraser Foster there. Um, I think most people are one of these Celtic probably as well. Thought we'll get him back for another season. A lot of stuff made about the fact that he's going back to Southampton to fight for his future. What's, what's your gut feeling in that, Mick? Do you think ring? Is there maybe a part that there might be something else out there for him or another transfer? Because no, I, think, I don't think he's. I don't think he's got a future at Southampton. To be perfectly honest, and I think you know that as well. I think. Um, I think the noises from there, even last week, where they would be like allowed to go, um, and I think I mean they've got as Alex McCarthy, who they thought was terrific after they came back from the lockdown. He's a bank keeper as well. Um, so it's for the Foster, but the guy in charge, the guy in possession of the gloves is, is doing well. We can't can't expect him to get bumped out of the team. So <clears throat> I think I think it's somewhere else for for Fraser Foster. Um, listen, I think at the time in the negotiations with Celtic, listen, numbers were were. were I think the numbers involved for Celtic were getting to the stage where they were getting a bit twitchy the numbers. I mean, the figures involved were, were pretty substantial. And as, as influential a goalkeeper he is, yeah. Celtic have got certain limits and constraints. And this, this whole situation with the pandemic as well has, has got them a wee bit cautious as well. But I think they were willing to push the boat out for him. Um, but maybe maybe he was hoping that he had a chance to get back in at Southampton at some point. But I don't, I don't see that happening. So would he be thinking he's made a, made a mistake, not not jumping to the Celtic opportunity? Perhaps I don't know. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I'm right now. If he won't listen, he won't go without the season last season. Did enough to suggest he's back in business after a couple of dodgy season. So I think he will get a move. Where the move is, listen, I think he might end up number one uh, championship team or maybe a team in the Premier League. They all seem to be set in terms of goalkeepers in the English league at the moment for top flight. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a big, a big, a real big club coming in from and making him a backup. Yeah. But and then is that what you want to do right in your peak years? I don't know. Um, I think he might look back and think that was a mistake. I don't know. But you can't listen. He's a, it's a short career. You got to make the money where you can and all that stuff. And he's a smart big guy, um, Fraser. Um, and I think he, he, I don't know. He, he will, he will land in his feet somewhere. But it depends. If he wants to play week in week out. A team that's been successful, I think he might be might be struggling a wee bit. Um, and I think, as I say, he might he might look back a wee bit of regret how this has all panned out. But you never know. Listen, he's got plenty of money in the bank right enough, so he won't be regretting for that long. So we can t- turn to strikers now, Mick. Um, there's a in the mix, and this isn't surprising really for Celtic for a couple of reasons. Um, 
the fact that the success of three five two since January, it's been obviously a, a big positive. Lee Griffiths obviously has trials and tribulations this summer about getting back to fitness. Uh, Bio injured again, and let's be honest, he's never been even close to becoming that. He doesn't no. look capable to play for Celtic. Patrick Clamalla has uh, had a really good summer. He looks a uh, if he puts the mask on, he looks like Bane, Tom Hardy, doesn't he? He's, he's proper. <laughs> uh, the one issue I think maybe with Kamala, um, I noticed it against Hibs on Monday, it was the fact that Hibs at times are quite deep. For all these qualities, I think when they're scouting players, obviously they look at a number of things, but Kamala at times is better when the game, maybe Celtic are uh, maybe not dominating possession. He's spacing behind. He's still struggling to time those kind of clever runs that Griffiths and Edward both specialise in but there's two names currently in the mix we've got uh, Ivan Tony, a player that we've reported since January Celtic have been keen on Nick Hammond was looking at then that's obviously been added with Gavin Strachan uh, who worked alongside him now he's uh, part of Neil Lennon's coaching staff and Albion Ajeti uh, a free scoring uh, Swiss striker with Basel uh, but the goals quickly dried up at West Ham and I think that's kind of the point as well with these strikers that Maybe the goals don't come at West Ham. He was used to playing the team, creating five, ten chances for him. And then he, he became um, second or third choice at West Ham. Uh, are both these strikers likely to sign Mick? Or is it a case of one or the other? I know uh, Ajeti would be alone. Tony appears it would cost a lot of money to get him. What's, what's the inside on the Celtic strikers that they look to bulk up? Well... I mean, what I, can, what I gather is that they're chasing quite a few guys. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine they would get would, would get or want or want both. Um, and then both and both these these both these transfers are, are a wee bit away from from happening at the moment. Um, I would I would think one or the other. I mean, I think Celtic have got other targets as well. I think there's a few in the list right enough that they've got. Um, so uh, it just it can't show the market they're in. Um, I, I definitely think as well there's, there's, they're looking for an insurance policy with, in terms of Edward as well because I think, I think they know that, that that's, that at some point someone's going to come in for Edward and that's, it depends on how much and where it is and that kind of thing. He's he's pretty settled right enough so I, I don't think it's not quite the same as the Mr Dembele situation a couple of years ago when it was a case of um, him battling the door to get out. Um, but they're definitely looking for someone. Actually, I, w- I wouldn't expect both to turn up. Um, Ajeti, I think the, I think there was thoughts that it was quite it was, it was on board, but obviously it's, the problem being is now it's very very early in the transfer window in terms of everywhere. The English league just finished the other week, so a, a lot of guys want a bit of time to kind of consider their options and see what's out there. And, and listen, it's a business; they want to maximise their, their income as well. Um, Tony's interesting one. What we can gather is he's he's, he's quite keen on and, and coming to Celtic, or very keen actually. Um, Peterborough playing hardball. I'd imagine, listen, the way Peterborough operate um, with their, their, their club owner on on Twitter all the time and, and Barry Fry uh, ranting, raving and telly all the time. I think that will give Peter Lowell heebie-jeebies. That's the one. That's the kind of thing he doesn't like doing. He likes to operate and kind of quiet. Um, yeah. So that that won't be down particularly well, but. Um, uh, and they're talking telephone numbers about 12 million or 10 million, 12 million. So I, I, listen, I think they were lucky to get that. He scored, he scored goals in League One. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm afraid they, they might be lucky. I think the, the reason why they've been so loud about it is because they're, they're trying to drum up that interest to get that kind of money. Whether they get it or not, I know there's talk about Brentford and all that stuff. Are they going to spend that money on a guy from League One if they go up? Uh, wait and see. I don't know. It's, um, I, think it's, I think that one's to be continued. Um, it depends how much Celtic want them and how far they want to go and push it. 
Um, it's talking about five million pound bids already. So it's certainly a serious, and that's serious money. Um, in the current climate, that is serious money. Um, Ajeti, I think he's just waiting to see his options as well. Um, that one, a loan deal for a season of you to buy, that's a kind of almost like a kind of low risk. I mean, money, there will be money involved in that in terms of wages and perhaps uh, loan fees and all that stuff, but it's fairly low, low risk. So they could, I mean, I say they won't get two of them, but they could maybe risk it if they need to, um, if they want to. But um, I, I don't think they'll hang around forever. I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll wait for these guys indefinitely. So I think they will set some sort of um, time kind of um, constraint on it. And if it don't, if it doesn't happen within that time, they'll just move on. I think a bit like Fraser Forster. I mean, I think they didn't want to wait forever for Fraser Forster. Um, and that that ship's now sailed. So um, I think they'll do the same with these, these guys. Um, but listen, I think to be continued. I think I think I still wouldn't be surprised if, if there's movement on on, on either, uh, or listen, it'd be surprising, but maybe even both. Well, that's interesting to hear. Then I think for a while we've been trying to piece together Celtic's um, master plan basically for this. So it's a different transfer window, a unique transfer window for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, budgets probably changing for clubs across the globe uh, after the pandemic and you've also got the, this longer transfer window this is really interesting isn't it Mick because Celtic have been specialists of working that kind of English loan market and academy players in the past as well there's got to be real opportunities this year maybe teams changing like tightening the puff strings as well there's got to be maybe Celtic stay patient uh, into the season there could be a, a gem to be had here or there couldn't there uh, well, exactly, and I think that's and like I said before that they're, they're they're doing it from position of power, which is why I think Neil Lennon seems quite relaxed about the whole thing in terms of transfers. There's not the same kind of urgency there's maybe had in previous seasons. Um, listen, in the last I, I can't remember the last time that they were in pre-season this kind of calm because usually at this point in time, Celtic have got a a crisis in the centre defence. They've got they're playing they're playing midfielders at centre half and the European qualifiers. They've got no striker up front or something like that. I, 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 we've seen it before. But this time round, they seem to be in, in decent shape. So there isn't that same kind of, I'm not saying panic, but maybe urgency to get these guys in. And they will be patient. Um, and it happened last year. I mean, Elanoussi, we saw last year coming in loan from England. It's a guy who cost 16 million quid the year before. Um, Ajeti sounds like a similar kind of player. A guy who did the business with Basel didn't quite work out for him at West Ham, but he's obviously got pedigrees. Goal scorer record in Switzerland was really good. Um so there's 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 plenty there's plenty going on, and I think I said I don't think there is that that kind of mad scramble at this point in time. Um, and there'll be wee, there will be wee ones that surprise as well. I mean, we've seen last year. I mean, Jeremy Frimpong arrived. It was there wasn't an awful lot of fanfare. I think people thought it was one of these kids that arrived from from uh, down south, one for the future, and he ended up being a major player last year. So there will be these wee, wee gems that pop up as well. Um, the fact the very fact that Celtic are in the market and, and not and talking about say four and a half million, five million for a goalkeeper. Five million bids for for Tony. Celtic are not mucking about this year. I mean, I know the punters are desperate to see them splashing money to make sure they win this ten in a row. I get that. Uh, same every year, they get the same things thrown at the board every year. But it does look that they're not they're not mucking about this year. They're, they are willing to spend money despite the situation. Uh, but that just shows you what they know what's at stake. They can't they can't be they can't cut any corners this year. They need to do it. This is this is this is what they've been gearing up for 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 a decade. So they need to get this done. Um, I say I don't think they'll be. Um, don't think they'll let it, they'll, they'll they'll miss the opportunity to do it. Interesting. I think we've spoke about Neil Lennon's been uh, quite forthright as well about the fact that 
there's no point denying it. Every Celtic player obviously has a prize. He's very keen on Ayer and Edward to remain if they can. It's a massive season. And then obviously after 10 in a row, then the, the rules change as well for a team like Celtic. This is a massive moment in the club's history. But is Olivier Cham, is he the kind of, not wildcard, but is he the one player who's probably potentially viewed as, if a player is to depart, it could be the... I know he's, he, he recovered well last year after, you know, out of favour after his comments. He was an important squad player, played, started some games, was on the bench for others. But do you think departure from him that wouldn't would that shock you, Mick, or he's the one that would go? No, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. I mean I think he's still got enough of a reputation around it, around the continent. I think there was serious money last summer on the table or um or talked about um but it didn't it didn't really do enough last season to, to kind of justify that that same kind of figures talked about this this summer. So it wouldn't surprise me. What would what would rather see is is in Cham knuckling down and becoming a, a key first team player week in week out. Um, it's been difficult for him. His, his role's kind of strange. I mean, I mean, Scott Brown. I don't think anyone expected Scott Brown to still be at thirty five, but such an influence week in week out. Um, I think it maybe even surprised him as well um, when he played fifty games last season in a, in a curtailed campaign. Yeah, um, and Cham does play that deeper kind of role. He can play further forward, obviously as well. But I think he's maybe stronger as a kind of. And a kind of slightly deeper, deeper role. Um, Cham's a bit of an enigma, and I think when he's on his game, you think this guy's an absolute world beater. I mean, he looks, he looks the part. He's strong. He can pass a ball, keep possession. He can, uh, he can score a goal. Um, you think this guy's got the whole package? Then there's, there's certain games when he completely stinks the place out. And I don't know if it's a mentality thing, or it tends to be the kind of games you don't expect it. I mean, it, it doesn't quite um, cut it. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe concentration, or I don't, I don't know. Um, and he must be frustrating to manage because he has got all the tools. So I think if he can knuckle down, he can be, he can be, he can be an absolute star for, for Celtic. But it's up to him. Um, I think if he if he gets sold for for five million quid tomorrow, I, I don't I don't think there'll be protests outside Parkhead because I think he's uh, I don't he's sometimes forgotten about him in terms of people picking their, their first team. But it shouldn't be because it should be it should be a kind of star man. Um, I can I get I can get some of the reasons why that's not been the case. We look at McGregor and, and Brown. Are untouchable in there, now in that, that part of the pitch. Um, but he, he's he's got a role to play, I think, uh, Cham. Um, and I, I think it would be it would be good if he did knuckle down and, and stay. Especially, I mean, I, I mean, listen, Scott Brown never write Scott Brown off at any point in time. You got to think at thirty-five this season, it can't quite be the same. Um, and there was there wee there was wee signs that that that, that his game's changing. I think he kind of changed his style a wee bit last season. Uh, under Neil Lennon and I, I don't know if it maybe was he worked better the way he played under Rodgers I don't know if he's asked to do a bit more in terms of the ball I don't know um, but Cham can do these things so you've got to think that long term he could be he could be the man for him that, that kind of role um, so I, if I was if it was me I would keep hold of him and try and, and try and nurture him and make him into a, a, proper, a proper Celtic player Um but at the same time, if a serious door comes on the table when he wants to go, there's not a lot you can do about it. Um, especially in this kind of current time when, when money's going to be tight for a long while. Uh, I mean, Celtic will fill the pinch more than the biggest wage bill in the country. They're missing out on the full houses in Europe that sell tickets, a couple million pounds a whip for them usually. So it's, we're talking millions and millions getting blown at the budget um, for the next next few months. And we don't know when full houses are back as well. So it's it's... Celtic, Celtic have had their, had their money for a rainy, kept their money for a rainy day. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of raining now, and they've got at least they've got a brolly. Um, so that, that's where they are at this point in time. 
Um, but they still need to be, still need to be careful. That's um, an interesting point I'm just saying about the fans uh, for a full return. But we know that September 14th has been marked in the calendar a date when Scottish football supporters will be able for that date on to maybe return to games and social distance and so forth. Uh, obviously, there's been real progression. There's scare stories. <laughs> scare stories. There's obviously, I think, the British public have been prepped for maybe a second wave at some point as well. But absolutely fantastic the excitement when you came on the, the show there at the beginning for getting back to action like the supporters are absolutely craving just a bit of normality and their favourite pastime on a Saturday afternoon be really great if we can get some fans back in the game as soon as possible wouldn't it it'd be brilliant, it'd be brilliant. I mean, I'm really wary I mean like, I think you touched on it there that there's, there's wee kind of things coming out creeping out from, from the, the powers that be that it's almost like a wee warning about, about kind of um, second waves and all that stuff I and mean, that's, that's a disaster we've got it. I mean, listen, first and foremost, for the health of the born country, that's the first thing. Um, but we really don't want to be getting shut down again at any point in time. And the crowd thing, I don't know. I mean, the scare stories are that we don't get full crowds for the whole season, which would be a disaster. Yeah. Uh, you think, well, I think by September, the partial kind of crowds coming in, that's that a step forward at least. Um, I don't see, I say, I don't see full houses until after maybe the new year. Potentially, um, worst case scenario is no full houses until they get some vaccine for this thing. We don't know. Listen, we're not we're, we're daft sports hacks. We're not epidemiologists, so we don't know. Uh, listen, the chiefs don't know either. But looks of things keep being up to go along. Um, so we have to kind of take it step by step. But at least we've got a bit of daylight now. We can see on the horizon a potential return for fans at the game, which should be a start. Um, but it's it's we're going to have to kind of blindly uh, fumble in the dark until we know what's happening um, and just hope that hope beyond hope that it's back to normal sooner or later That's it just one when I've got you Mick as well it's quite this is we talk about things that keep Celtic fans obviously the league 10 in a row signings and European football we're obviously starting to get in the last few weeks we've got a kind of a calendar together European football for the next season and this is quickly happening it's uh, next Sunday and Monday there's going to be the Champions League draw uh, for rounds 1 and 2 and there's interesting to note there's a few teams in there early rounds I think it's been happening this way recently the last couple of years um, in terms of Rosenberg ended up they, they were a second round opponent uh, and there's a Jord Gardens the Swedish champions uh, lying in wait potentially as first round opponents but the one thing I was really wanting to ask you about was see in terms of the first or the winner takes all one legged affair is that a, a, it depends obviously it's home or away but is that an advantage I think back to last season um, and the Kluge both really strong one each draws away from home come back to Parkhead and Celtic are almost caught in a halfway house between going for it and not do you think these rounds one to three is one legged ties is that that must be a bit of advantage for Celtic Newlands and attack manager will that work in their favour I, I think it's a bit of both I think um, you don't need, you won't have the same kind of going to a hostile environment and, and dealing with goats getting sacrificed to the park and all that kind of stuff for that nonsense we um, but there's, it's a tightrope because the one off tie is there's, there's, there's no way back if you have a bad night that's you done so I mean listen, I, was, I was sitting in the, the stands at, um, in Gibraltar for Lincoln Red Imps that night I couldn't believe what I was seeing Um they can't afford to have any off night now. Um, the only good thing is that I think I think 
I know they, they only haven't played that many games and three seasons been a bit kind of weird with the social distance training at start and all that stuff. But they're back for a while and I think they're looking better now than they would do usually going into these qualifiers at the start of July. Um, they're a wee bit later going as well. So I think that helps. Uh, I said they don't want to cross the atmospheres. But then they won't have that at Parkhead either. I mean, I've seen teams coming to Celtic Park and getting spooked, especially in these early rounds. We saw it with uh, Hapwell Beersheva get clobbered after getting spooked. Uh, I saw Astana getting spooked and getting hammered at Parkhead. I've seen it before. Teams coming to sit to Glasgow and, and, and not dealing with the atmosphere. Um, so they won't have that. So it would, it would down to purely on ability. Um, and it's, so it's, it's going to be weird. It's a tightrope. I think it's I think it's fraught with danger. The one-off ties. I think they're taking out the aspect. I think the home advantage for Celtic getting removed and the kind of safety net of two ties, I think, makes it a really, really fraught passage. Um and I think you touched on there's team there are teams kicking about that you don't know much about them. I know you mentioned the kind of Swedish champions and stuff, but Celtic were pretty comfortable against Stockholm uh, a year ago. So you would fancy that at some point. You don't want them that early right enough. Rosenberg is always that was always one of those tricky ones early on that, that but Celtic have are capable of beating these teams. They should beat these teams. Um they will get tricky. The good thing is that they've kind of seeded along the way, I think. It looks like they're going to be seeded right way through to the playoff round as well. Um, so I don't think they'll face a team where they won't be the better side. That's what I think. I think I think they should be the kind of the stronger side. But that doesn't matter. It's a knockout competition. That, that's, and it's and there will be a case, especially rounds kind of maybe two, three, four, definitely, definitely the last round they get there, that it's going to be a knife edge. Luckily the playoff round is two legs again. Um so they've got that kind of um in the back burner. But I think I think these wee ties are are, are treacherous to be honest with you because um, early in the campaign anything could happen just takes a bad night a red card early on it's, it's, it's fraught fraught with danger um, but I still think they should expect and should aim to get to that Champions League group stages I think that's something they've missed the last couple of years uh, I think I wrote that week but they shouldn't lose sight of the importance of Europe I know this is, the 10 is, is dominating everyone's thoughts right now but I think Europe has to be the barometer for clubs I think they have to be a place on the, on the big the big stage. I think that's vital in terms of where the club is and the stature and, and attracting signings and everything and finances, the whole thing. Um, I don't think you lose sight of it. Um, listen, every single person that got in touch with me after and on online and all that stuff after all that column said, "No, forget it, it's all about the ten. <laughs> but but I still think it's it's, it's it's vital to target that as well. I don't think you should sacrifice Europe for for the league, uh, even no matter how important it is the league this year. I think Europe has to be. If not, the big priority is right up there along with the league. Right, absolutely spot on, Mick. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, that's all we've got time for today. Join us next week as we'll review the first uh, clash of season against Hamilton. We'll obviously Actual provide a- football! Actual football! Oh, yeah. It's back. And we'll also be looking at all the transfer latest as well. Thanks very much for joining us and take care and see you soon.